0: You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at EveryNationGTA.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, this is really fun. We have people in our studio audience. I hope I don't get distracted. I'm used to preaching to like nobody but Richard Byrd, Aaron, Jacob, Luke, and one or two other people. So I actually have a crowd and, uh, Man, this is, this is going to be fun. So hopefully I can still do this, talk in front of people, not just to, um, the invisible crowd that watches out there. Well, here we go. Um, whatever Sunday this is of our series on the book of Acts, unstoppable. Season two, last spring into the summer, we did unstoppable season one. We started out talking the early chapters um, of the book of Acts, and now here we go, season two, and who knows when season three will come about, but this is um this is fun. Love, love, love the book of Acts. Um, way back. In 1976, um, I was thinking probably in our church, maybe there's four of us who actually remember 1976, but way back in 1976, I was a teenager and a really new believer, and my young Christian friends and I, we loved listening to all the latest Christian pop music, and in 76, this album came out called Firewind. And it was all the famous people of the day. Barry Maguire, second chapter of Acts, and Keith Green and others. And uh, it was an album on the first four chapters of the book of Acts. It gripped us. Man, we listened to it over and over again. It gripped us. It pierced our hearts. And it gave us a desire. Just maybe, maybe as youngsters, as teenagers, I was 15 years old as a teenager. Could I possibly believe that what God started and did then, he would continue. Some of the songs, um, you know, Lord, help me to be the, the person I'm supposed to be. Lord, help me see my way clear. Let your light shine through all we do and let your love remain to make me worthy. We need you here. If we are to share your name with every woman, every man. And we took those things that from the book of Acts seriously, we sang along with a song that said, well, I die for my Jesus, lay my life down for all to see. Cause if I wouldn't die for my Jesus, then why did he die for me? We were serious and excited about the book of Acts. In fact, one day I remember sitting in Victoria Park in Kitchener with a friend, her and I talking about what it would be like if we actually lived like this. And we thought part of that would be living in a commune, but that probably wasn't what it was supposed to be. But we dared to believe that what God did then, he... His desire and his purpose was to continue doing it throughout the generations, which is why I love even the title of our series, Unstoppable, because our God and the gospel, it is unstoppable. So why are we doing Acts again this year? Well, hopefully we're going to kindle that hope and that belief that God wants to, and he's continuing to move here and now today. Um, Today... Speaking of today, we get to talk about Saul, the conversion of Saul, also known as Paul later on in the book of Acts. If you Google Paul or the apostle Paul, you actually will find out that he really is still to this day listed in the top 10 most influential men in history. Pretty amazing. Also, also, um, just before we get started and before we start reading the scripture, there are people much smarter than me who have devoted their lives to actually studying the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul. We often will quote N.T. Wright here in our sermons, and N.T. Wright is one of those men. I don't know, maybe he's written a dozen books on Paul alone of his like 80 or 90 books that he's um, written. So there are those who have study this man and his life in depth. That's not me. But I tell you, I am sure um, uh, touched by this story of his conversion, not just what God did then, but hope for what God wants to do today. This is a dramatic encounter most of us will never know anyone or see this kind of encounter with Jesus in our lifetime. Um, we know as we go through Book of Acts, not everybody's encounter with Jesus is this way, which which gives us in a good place of knowing. However you come to meet Jesus, he meets you in his way in your life. So um, I'm going to start out with a quote from a man named John Stott. He was a pastor for years and years in England, passed away, I don't know, in the last decade, sometime anyway. Let's listen to John Stott. In the 2,000 years since his death and resurrection, millions have turned to Jesus. Lives have been transformed, directions changed, but no conversion is more dramatic than that of Saul of Tarsus. He is the most famous in church history. This is the young man who approved of Stephen's brutal death and then set out to single-handedly destroy the church. He went from house to house to drag men and women off to prison because of their faith. Then Saul met Jesus. So let's read this morning the book of Acts, the ninth chapter, beginning with the first verse. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them back. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. I just have a three point sermon today and my three points are this, me, them and him. Let's start with me. I'm gonna talk about me. Have you ever thought about um maybe something you did in your life or you look back, uh regrets, maybe things you do did before you knew Jesus, maybe stuff you still do. And you wonder, is it too much for God? Is what I've done or Even maybe what sometimes I still do, is it too much for God? Well, we've met Saul, and I hope that as we are reminded of the things in Saul's life, that we can see, that we can have hope uh, in our God. So first, let's turn back a few pages, and let's think about Saul and the brutal death of Stephen. You might or might not remember that um, when Stephen was martyred, when he was stoned to death, there standing in the midst watching this happen was a man named Saul. Acts chapter 7 says this, Then they cast him out of the city, cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at at the feet of a young man named Saul. Acts chapter 8 says this, And Saul approved of his, Stephen's, execution. This is part of Paul's story part of who he was prior to that encounter with Jesus. Have you ever um, imagined a stoning? I mean, like, seriously, have you ever imagined a stoning? Um, I haven't until very recently. I was listening to an audiobook and the author posed that question, and I thought, no, I've never wanted to imagine a stoning. But take a minute now. And think of the brutality of other men and women picking up something sharp and jagged and putting to death a human being. And there was Paul standing and watching and approving of this violent and brutal death of one who had followed Jesus. Okay, well, maybe you have imagined a stoning. Or maybe you've thought about Stephen Stoning. Where do you see yourself? I know um, if I think of Stephen Stoning, or if I think of Palm Sunday, or if I think of the crucifixion, I always think of myself as one of the good guys, right? Not the one picking up the stone, but maybe the one saying, oh, Stephen, no, he was innocent. Because when we think of things, even in modern times when mobs rise up and do crazy things, we always think, oh, no, I, I'd be, the, I'd be the, the good guy standing out there saying, no, this is wrong. And yet would I really? Or would I have just joined in? Where would I have been when Stephen was stoned? I don't know. Um, about maybe 15, 16 years ago, I was, um, sitting on a bench in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, we lived in Nashville. Atlanta it was about three hours away. I had gone to Atlanta with some pastor's wives, friends. And, uh, we had, you know, we're doing some tourist things and hanging out together. And, but one of the things we did was we went to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, National Museum, whatever it's called there. And at that place, there's Ebenezer Baptist Church where he was raised, where his father was a pastor. There's the home he was built in. But there's also a museum. And in the museum, there's life-size depictions of some pretty amazing things. And one is a bridge. And it's, um, it's capturing one of the things, one of the marches in the 1960s where Black and white, African-Americans, arm in arm with whites, were crossing this bridge, protesting the civil injustices of the time and fighting for civil rights. This is not a picture of the bridge, but it's the closest I could find to it. Life-size statues. And it was a time to sit. I was sitting on a bench with my friend Debbie, who's African-American, and it was one of those reflective moments where... There aren't words. You sit and you look and you try to imagine the 1960s and what life was like in the southern United States and in a moment kind of of like conviction and honesty and just I turned to my friend Debbie and I said, "Debbie, I don't know if I could have done it. I don't know if I would have been brave enough with those white folks to get up there and fight for your freedom." And Debbie and I were both teary-eyed. She said, I don't know if I could have done it either. So it's, we can look and we can see these times in history and we can see things and we can look at, how could Saul stand there? And yet, I don't know what's on the inside of me. I don't know what I would have done in a moment like that. But we did see a lot coming out of Paul, the persecution of the way, the um, getting permission to arrest and, and throw people in jail. And man, what a mess. Um, his life was at that time. So where do I imagine myself? Here's what Paul said in a brutal honesty. Yep. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison, both men and women. In 1 Corinthians, he said said this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul knew. He knew his past. He knew his history. And he said, yep, I delivered people to death. I persecuted the church of God. But then Paul said words that should be encouraging to you and I from this day forward and forever. Because Paul, in the midst of what he had done and who he was, and he said, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Uh Uh-huh, here's who I was. I watched the stoning. I persecuted the church. I persecuted those following the way of Jesus. But by the grace of God, I am what I am today. And his grace was not in vain. And out of this and out of Paul's life experience, it's amazing to me, I often remember and think about the Paul who wrote, uh, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, Paul said, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward, straining forward to what lies ahead. And so when I think about the story of Paul's conversion, that's the first thing I think about. I think about me, and I think about because of the grace of God, I can forget what lies behind. And like the Apostle Paul, I can continue throughout my life to lean into the grace of God, that his grace is not in vain. I can forget what lies behind. I can strain and lean forward into all that God has for me. Me. Well, let's talk about them. Them. So, do you ever think about, um, let's, let's talk about the neighbors. Uh, do you ever think about your neighbor, someone in your life, a classmate, a schoolmate, a workmate? Um, and maybe they're super successful and maybe they, they're well to do and maybe they're super educated. Um, my neighbors are really educated. Uh, probably two thirds of my, Neighbors are either university professors or retired university professors. uh they live in lovely homes maybe your your friends or your family members they seem competent and confident and maybe even like a little bit like Paul, hateful towards christianity and maybe when we think about them, we can start to think, oh, you know." I don't know. Maybe it would be impossible. Maybe there's. Maybe they don't even want to. Maybe God's not able to work in their lives. You know, Ananias pulled a little bit of this one on God. He said to the Lord, "Lord, wait a minute." When God told him, "Hey, go to this guy named Saul," Ananias goes, "Wait a minute. I know about this guy. Uh, how much evil he's done to your saints?" Uh, and maybe, just maybe, Lord, this isn't a good idea. And yet, Ananias said what he thought and what he felt and what he feared and then did what God wanted him to do, rose above his perception of this man. Because if he would have looked at Paul, he would have seen a man who was connected and influential and hateful towards believers. And he could have said, like you and I often say, oh, my goodness, this seems impossible. or. That God would or could or would ever work in someone's life. And yet the story of Paul reminds us Ananias may say, I'm a little bit afraid here, but he listened to the Lord and, and realized, yeah, no, 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 God's saying, I'm working in this guy's life. I got a plan for him. And so take your part in this, Ananias. Uh, in fact, your, your name's going to go down in the pages of history. He didn't know that at the time, but we do now. Uh, Back in the book of Samuel, one of the things... uh, I think it was at the time when when David was going to be anointed as king where there's these words that we should all remember that the Lord sees not as man sees because man looks at the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. So, remember... Ah uh, remember as we think about the story of Saul that God works in and through and in ways and through people that we can't even begin to imagine Ah uh, yes let's go back to John Stott John Stott said these words yes Saul's conversion was dramatic. He became the apostle to the Gentiles, and we today continue to reap the benefits of his life. However, though it will probably not be a on a Damascus road, we too must experience a personal encounter with Jesus, Jesus Christ, in order to be converted. We too must turn to him in faith and repentance and receive a call to serve Christ and his church. So Paul's, Saul's conversion story is that reminder that, yeah, we can forget what lies behind. Yeah, God works in the lives of people, mysteriously, sometimes to us, but God's working in the lives around us, which brings us just to him, to Jesus, to where my confidence should lie, my confidence in the work of God, in the work of God through Christ Paul being able to say, by the grace of God, I am who I am, that his grace toward me wasn't in vain. And now let's kind of close this out because there's another thing I want to, I want to think about and consider here. You know, it's interesting to me that it says in what we read today, and for three days, he, Saul, was without sight and never, never ate, neither ate nor drank, um, It's actually a little bit encouraging to me that um, I'm reminded that God doesn't mind leaving us in the dark. You know, once in a while, there's times, maybe it's not that utter blackness. I can't even like I, sometimes you go out and you're up north and it's dark outside and there's a few stars and you think that that's dark. But I think what Paul's darkness was even, was the darkest of dark, not even a glimpse of light. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine what you think about uh, in a moment like that. Three days. Well, we know the. the The verse we read said he was praying, and we know that he knew somebody was going to come and help him. Somehow, Ananias, the Lord told Ananias, he's expecting you. But what was he thinking about in the dark in those moments? Well, he was probably digging through his uh, knowledge of the scripture because the man was very well trained at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest Bible teachers, history says in that time or of all time. And he was probably perhaps even thinking about the message he had heard Stephen preach. Cause remember he was there when the guy was stoned, but he also heard Stephen unpack the history of their nation and then call out the crowd saying, you're just like the ones who persecuted the prophets before us. So maybe he was reflecting on what he knew from his his Bible, maybe he was reflecting on the words he heard from Stephen's message, and maybe he was reflecting on the fact that there walking along the street, um, a guy he thought was dead appeared to him and called him by name and revealed himself to him. And I think as we close out this story, I think there were some pretty cool characters in Paul's life, who had input in him. And the first was Gamaliel, his teacher. He learned, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the guy in chapter five from last year, who when the the um church, the leaders, the Jewish leaders were persecuting the church and they were really mad at Peter and some of the apostles. And Gamaliel went, wait, wait a minute here, wait a minute. Um, other groups have risen up before and they died out. But uh, keep away from these men, he said. Leave them alone. For if this undertaking, the, this Peter and these guys, if this is from man... It'll fail, but if it's from God, you won't be able to overthrow them. You might even be opposing God. This was the guy who was Paul's greatest influence and teacher, who in the back of his mind was even going, oh, could this be the one? And then of course, there was Stephen. Stephen, When Stephen died, full of grace and power, the man had been doing signs and wonders. You want to bet Paul knew about those things. And then, yeah, he called them out as stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart. I mean, he wasn't very kind to those who were listening to his message. He was speaking the truth to them. And then he uh, peacefully saw Jesus and went to sleep, went to be with the Lord. So these in his life, Gamaliel and Ananias being bold and 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 approaching him, even though he was nervous about telling this guy and laying hands on him, seeing him healed. And then there was Stephen, the message that he preached is an encouragement and a reminder to me that sometimes I may feel like I'm the lone voice or the lone person or the lone believer in somebody's life. And yet this story of Saul, Paul's conversion is a reminder to me that God's working. If he's got his hand and his thumb and his eye on somebody, he's working in and through people, not just me. Not just you. Um, one quick story before we finish up here. I just and It was an encouragement to me. There's a family member I love with all my heart. Just love dearly. And I kind of always thought Bert and I were the only influence in this family's life, maybe of loving them the way Jesus loved them. And I don't know, however you want to... Uh, however you want to describe that. And we ended up somewhere with some of their friends and realized that all of their friends who their kids grew up together, love and believe in Jesus. And it was such an encouragement to me. I said, okay, it's not just Bert and Sheila, but God surrounding them with lots of people, the Stevens, the Gamaliels, the Ananiases in their lives. Finally, Of course, how can I end a sermon without a quote from Tim Keller? Yeah. So here we go, Pastor Tim. Speak to us once more as we close today. Paul's conversion is a great reminder that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. If the Lord can turn this persecutor into a preacher, he can bring anyone to faith. Are there people you know who you don't really think could ever become Christians, why not pray for them now, and why not keep praying for them daily? Tim Keller, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for laying out in your word the dramatic conversion of Saul. Thank you for the encouragement it brings to our hearts that you work in our lives, that we can forget what lies behind, that you work in the lives of people around us, that we're not the only voice, but you draw people unto yourself, and that you're faithful, faithful to bring many, many into the knowledge of you. And we are grateful. We think today of those we've said, ah, it's impossible. And we do pray for the salvation of their souls in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.